the Medical School HQ Podcast, session number 56. Hello and welcome back to the Medical School HQ Podcast, the place to learn how to excel as a pre-med student, learn what it takes to survive medical school, and turn your dreams of becoming a physician into reality. We're bringing you the most unbiased, honest, and accurate information available online today. Hi folks, as always, my name is Ryan Gray and I'm the host of the Medical School HQ Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us today and taking some of your time to listen to what we have to say. If this is the first time joining us, welcome. You have 55 episodes to catch up on, so you better hurry up. Good thing you have the winter break to catch up on those episodes. If you've listened to all 55 and this is your 56th, congratulations. I know there are a few of you out there that have listened to all of them because you've emailed me and told me that, and I I appreciate it. Every one of you out there that that listens to us. Today, I have a little bit of a different interview for you. Today, I am interviewing Dr. Regina Harrell. She's an internal medicine physician that works at the University of Alabama. And she is involved with the Department of Family Medicine there and interacts with the residents She plays a significant role in the geriatrics rotation for family medicine residents at a a place called the Capstone Village, which if you go and Google Capstone Village, it looks like an awesome place for both the patients and for the residents and medical students to learn about geriatric care, which is kind of cool. But the weird thing or the interesting thing that brought me to Dr. Harrell was an article, a piece that she wrote that originally was published in an article in a magazine called The Pulse, and it was reproduced in uh, on NPR, and I read it, and it's an article about how Dr. Harrell is voicing her frustrations with electronic medical records or electronic health records, if you want to call them that as well, EHRs. And I was very interested in what she had to share because there was there was one key line on here. And it said, As a teaching doctor, my feedback to the residents now consists mainly of explaining how to document their visits so that we will all get paid instead of teaching them how to take care of elders in their homes. And... When I read that, I I had to reach out to her and talk to her. And this isn't a pod. Uh, this isn't an episode that's gonna teach you the tips and tricks on your application. But it's more an in depth look at what practicing medicine is like in today's day and age of electronic medical record systems. The frustrations that we have as physicians using these systems that really aren't the best systems out there, and some of the pros and cons. And what I hope you take out of this interview is the fact that at the end of the day, every day we go to work and we take care of patients. We deal with frustrations throughout the day, but every day we take care of patients. And at the end of the day, that is the ultimate goal and what matters. And I hope 
you can get that out of the conversation that I have with Dr. Harold today. So one thing I want to mention before we get into the interview is that the Academy has reopened and I want you to go to jointheacademy.net and check it out. We're in the process of uploading some awesome video testimonials. So if they're not there yet, and if you're kind of unsure if you want to sign up, you can wait for the videos. But it's an awesome community. We're growing every week. We have uh, a webinars, office hours, specialty series, interviews, and the community there is awesome, non-anonymous. Go go check out jointheacademy.net and sign up. Come join us. You got nothing to lose. You get 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you, you jump in there and you don't like it, no harm, no foul. But jointheacademy.net, and uh, we look forward to seeing you there. So why don't we jump in and listen all the way through. At the end, we'll give you some some information on how to stay in touch with us. To start the interview with Dr. Harrell, I asked her how she started on her journey to becoming a physician. So I grew up in a nursing home. My father was a nursing home administrator. So I always had 100 extra grandmothers, and I thought that was really cool. Um, I I thought I might want to go into medicine in high school. So when I got home from my first year of college, my dad said, if you think you want to be a doctor, you need some experience. I signed you up for the nursing assistant class at the nursing home. Um, and as an 18-year-old who had only ever been kind of a nerd diving into books, learning how to give somebody a bath was really eye-opening experience for me. Um, but it was fun, and I figured out that uh, holding hands with people and helping them put their clothes on in the morning and helping them eat lunch every day and even helping them go to the bathroom was really an honor and a privilege, and it was lots of fun. So that's when I really fell in love with hanging out with people. Yeah. And I thought, since my mom had breast cancer while I was in college, that I was going to become an oncologist, and I was going to save the world from all cancer. And I followed around an oncologist in Birmingham where I was in medical school, and she was she had three children, and she was always exhausted and always frazzled and always sure one of her kids was not going to survive to be 18. She just felt spread too thin all the time. And I thought, you know... I don't think I want that job. So then I followed around a geriatrician who was semi-retired uh, from family practice. And he said, you know, when the weather's really pretty, maybe I'll go play golf today. And tomorrow I'll go check on my cute little old people at the nursing home. And I thought, now that might be the kind of job I'm interested in. So when I, um, I, I really enjoyed geriatrics, I enjoyed internal medicine residency and then even more geriatrics. And when I got out into practice, started out full-time and when we had a little person, then I would, if he was sick and we didn't have family in town, I would stay at home with him during the day. Then I'd go around in the nursing home from 5 p.m. to midnight while my husband was at home. And I'd stay up with a sick baby all night. And then I'd get up the next morning and do it again. And that was a little nuts. So at, when we moved here to Alabama, where we are now, I decided part-time was more my speed. So I didn't lose my sanity. So that's where I am, living happily ever after in Alabama, trying to make it work, being a mommy and a doctor and a wife of a doctor. Wow. So you've come full circle growing up in a nursing home, and now you work in nursing homes and, and are working with the same people that you grow up with. Yes. Did you ever think that was going to happen? 
Growing up, no. Um, but once I got into medical training, I realized that there was a reason I had all that experience and all that enjoyment and all those positive memories, and it, it really came together then. Yeah. And so your your dad working in the nursing home wasn't a physician? He was an administrator? Yeah, he's an administrator, so okay. business background. Okay. So on your pre-med path, how did you find the journey? Was it was it hard for you? Was it easy? What What kind of struggles did you have, if any? When I was an undergraduate, I always picked the hardest of everything. I I thought I was more or less invincible. And then I took some upper-level molecular biology classes at Vanderbilt and found out I wasn't invincible. <laughs> um, and medical school, the year I applied, was actually pretty challenging. There were more applicants than I think had ever been. They set a new record. So I applied to maybe 12 or 15 schools and got into one of them, which was a very humbling experience after being handed scholarships to more than one place as an undergraduate. Um, But it ended up being the right place. It happens to be where I met my husband and it all worked out great. Yeah. And I think that's a a common scenario. And we, we talk about it a lot. The fact that it, very similar to athletics, you might be the the best baseball player in your hometown, and then you're you move up into college, and maybe you're the best player on the team, and then you move into the pros, and you're a nobody in the pros. Exactly. And so the the, the more you move up the ladder, the the more the competition gets, and and the more you realize that there are a lot of smart people out there. There is always going to be somebody smarter than you out there. <laughs> Just accept it. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, and be at peace with it. It's okay. You don't have to be the smartest at everything. Nope. Nope. Just got to try your best. Yes. So right now you are still working part-time? Yes. As a geriatrician? Right. Okay. And you're interacting with residents currently? I am. I'm a faculty member at the University of Alabama. And so I have undergraduates, I have medical students, nursing students, nurse practitioner students, and medical students, and family medicine residents rotate with me at times. So you get the whole spectrum. I get lots of students, which is very fun. So here's a question. When you're interacting with med students, what is something that you've noticed that, that you think to yourself, man, I wish these med students would have learned this earlier? Hmm, good question. I think here in Tuscaloosa, we do a better than average job of pointing out the shortage of primary care doctors in the United States. And we have, we're very much geared towards encouraging people to go into primary care because there is such a shortage. And there are several folks who come rotate with me and go, gosh, you know, House calls aren't as bad as I thought they were going to be. I don't know what bad they thought they were going to get into, but they they enjoy working in nursing homes and assisted livings and doing house calls more than they thought, and they realize that and there's some not very favorable stereotypes about older patients, especially if you see just the really, really sick ones in the hospital. And so it really broadens their view of what geriatrics is. Okay. So I think a large majority of people listening to what you just said heard you say house calls and said, doctors still do house calls? <laughs> That's what my patients say. Too. <laughs> <laughs> Is it the stereotypical walking in with the big black bag and, and plop it down next to the patient? What, what, is it, what does a typical house call look like? So I, my, 
bag is brown instead of black, but it has it has my stethoscope and my otoscope, and it has I, I just got an app for my phone, so I can even do an EKG at your house. I can um, do a pulse oximetry. I have my reflex hammer, and I got all that stuff, all those old-fashioned doctor toys and some newfangled ones. Go with me, and we sit down on the couch, and we chat about Christmas, and we chat about the weather or football or whatever, and then we get down to business and have, in theory, what's a normal primary care doctor-patient interaction, but in a deeper, I think, more meaningful way because it's at their house and it's more personal. That's That sounds awesome. It's way fun. You should come hang out with me sometime. Well, I, I actually did kind of a pseudo-house call recently. It wasn't with a patient, but it was it was in a doctor patient type relationship, but it wasn't it it was for something totally different. But the I, I was acting as a physician in the role, mm-hmm. speaking with a a widow of somebody that had just died and oh, wow. uh, on base. And so I went and I was talking to her and, and getting some information about her husband and just sitting in the house and interacting with her was totally different than being in an in an exam room because now you're on, on their playing field and you're not you're more vulnerable than they are vulnerable it's yes. it's it's switched it's very interesting yes i always make sure to thank my patients for the privilege of allowing me into their house no. at every visit because it really is and do you think they open up more to you in their home versus in an office setting? Most of the time. Um, Some people I see at their house because they have dementia and they think someone outside is trying to hurt them. So they're afraid of everything. And so to try to even just chip into what that is, you have to see them in their own environment. So some people are not at all interested, but they're not interested in anybody. But most of the time... People are completely thrilled and much quicker to open up because they feel like you're taking them seriously because you bothered to show up at their house. Oh, that sounds great. So I, I have another question about med students before we move on to uh, some other stuff that I wanted to talk about. What is some of the biggest struggles that med students have nowadays that you see on their on the rotations with you? Um, I, they've had a hard time, I think, balancing all the demands that are put on them. There are now work hour restrictions where they didn't used to be, so they're watching the clock to make sure they're not breaking any rules, but also trying to be a sponge and absorb as much as they can. And technology has been both helpful and hurtful for that. You can look things up faster, but every place that you go has a different electronic health record, and you spend a lot of time trying to wade through which button you push to just try to record something that means you learn something. And so there are a lot of challenges in a lot of directions, a lot of things pulling for your attention. Yeah. Yeah. And all the while trying to, to learn how to interact with patients and interact with the attendings because they're the ones that are grading you and the residents. And yes, it's a lot. It is. So I reached out to you because of an article that I read that you had written initially for uh, an online magazine called The Pulse, but NPR published it and and, yes. and reprinted it, reprinted in air quotes, on, yes. on their website. Mm-hmm. 
And it's, you wrote about the struggles that practicing physicians have nowadays with electronic medical record systems and the whole, the whole uh, health information and IT uh, area. And you just mentioned a little bit of it that everywhere you go, there's a different electronic medical record system that you have to get used to. And it's a totally different system and different buttons to click. And, and I'll tell you from my experience as an intern, there was one hospital that I worked at that had four different EMR systems in one hospital. Yikes. Yeah. It was a, it was a physician owned hospital. And so it seemed like you would get one electronic medical record system and they, some physicians liked it and some didn't, so they would go out and buy another one. And but they would keep the old one for the physicians that liked it, and it was just a mess. It was wow. It was hilarious. Hilarious. <laughs> but and so students listening, pre med students and medical students listening, might want to know why the heck am I talking about electronic medical medical record systems and why we're going to talk about some of the struggles that you think are out there and and teaching residents the future of this. But I think it's a, a valid point to talk about because we're trying to show pre-med students, medical students, what life is like on the other side, how it's, it's not all roses sometimes, and there are struggles and there are frustrations. But in the end, the story that you tell about going and, and taking care of the patients is obviously the ultimate goal and why we continue to wade through the frustrations. So, But I just want to show that there are frustrations out there. So... Why don't we talk about a little bit about your story that you wrote? Sure. First, it's important to notice that there is no perfect way to keep a record. Paper charts had their flaws, too. When I first started doing house calls, I went with a bunch of paper charts in my trunk. But then if the billing office needed to look up something, I had the chart with me 10 miles away. So even the paper system, while it was less complicated had its flaws too. So we have a particular electronic health record at our office um, because we're an academic medical center and we have a psychiatry group and we have student health and we have trainees and they have to be able to submit their notes to someone else to sign. There were fewer choices than you would have, say, at a private practice where you didn't have quite as many restrictions and things that had to be in the record. Um, the reason we got an electronic health record was to try to improve communication so that when somebody was in the hospital, you could pull up on your computer their office records, hopefully to provide some seamless continuity of care. Then the federal government mandated that electronic health records become a part of your record or you'll get paid less. And the way our office did the negotiations between both the federal government and the state government, there can considering telling me I may not get paid at all or at least a large chunk of my salary just won't get paid if I don't do this. But they've had a little bit of a challenge trying to figure out how I'm supposed to document something when I'm 10 miles from nowhere and there are no bars on my cell phone or my laptop and I'm supposed to enter an electronic record. We had a meeting with our financial planner, and he had read the article and made a comment about it. And I said, yeah, just imagine you having an annual review with your clients about their finances from memory because you don't have Internet access. That's what I'm doing every time I go on a house call is I'm trying to remember what's in their chart because I can't look at it because the computer doesn't work. 
So it is a challenge. But thankfully, because I'm part-time and because you don't see as many patients on house calls as you do in an office, my brain most of the time works well enough to remember most of the things that I need to remember. Yeah. And, and it, it sounds like it can be a struggle. But when, when you look at paper charts back in the day and, and they had their negatives and you look at the electronic medical record systems now, do you, what do you see as far as what their role is in in healthcare? And, and I'm asking a specific question. Do you think they're there to make your job easier? They should be, but that's not why they're there. They're there because the government said they had to be. So there are companies out there designing things that meet the government requirements to so that you get paid. None of the programs were written to make doctor-patient relationships better. Yeah, and, and I think that's the, the biggest problem that the majority of physicians are having. And yes. It seems like it's become a barrier to patient care instead of helping patient care. Yes. As you work with other physicians and residents during the day and, and interacting with them and watching them kind of grow up with electronic medical records, do you see a difference in, in them because they grew up with this, whereas you transi- transition to it from paper? That's a good question. I just turned 40, so I'm kind of in the middle. I didn't grow up with a cell phone. I started out with a pager as an intern and didn't get a cell phone until I was an upper-level resident. Um, But I had electronic records in our VA system through my entire training career. So I I really am kind of in the hybrid generation where I've kind of done it both ways. Um, I have seen plenty of 60- and 70-year-old physicians jump right in full force and be completely fine with it. And I've seen some 25- and 30-year-old physicians be just as frazzled as the, quote, typical near-retirement physician who didn't grow up with it. So I, I don't know that it's as much a function of age as it is maybe sort of techie interest or personal interest in electronics and things that flash and okay. have keys. So, so more of a comfort level with computers in general, the, the, same, so. the same divide for, for normal computer stuff. Yes. Okay. Moving forward... Do you see this getting better? <laughs> hmm, that's a good question. I, 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 hopefully enough physicians will revolt to the fact that we're being asked to use something that's not helpful for patients. I mean, it's tricky. The physicians aren't the buyers. They're just the end users. So we got to make all the teams cooperate. And Americans are pretty stubbornly independent folks. So working as team players is not something we're culturally known for being really good at. Yeah. And I think that's part of it. We, we live in the capitalist society and everybody wants to, to have the best of the best. So there's not one great program out there. There's a bunch of little ones and it's all divided. And the, the same thing that I ran into during my internship with four different EMR systems in one hospital. Yes. So. It is. And there, I mean, this, it's an, 
endless cycle of very interesting debates. In the VA system where I trained, it was really easy. You could look up the records from anybody in the entire country if they had come to your VA and you needed to look something up. It coordinated well. It was pretty seamless. It wasn't very hard to use. But there were some inefficiencies in the one system. So do you have a bunch of little systems that don't talk to each other that are maybe more efficient or one great big system which is less efficient? And, and that goes for healthcare and for who's paying for it and which electronic record you have and, and lots of parts of it. So I think we've done a good job <laughs> painting a negative picture with electronic <laughs> medical record systems and, and all the struggles that we have day in and day out. And, and the, the electronic medical record system that I use on a day-to-day basis is horrendous. Um, but that's a, that's a different story. What, as a pre-med student listening to this, what can you tell them to say, it'll be okay, life goes on, you'll still practice medicine and enjoy patient interaction and, and all that? What do, you, what do you tell the pre-med student out there that's freaking out? Well, in the nuts and bolts part, some parts of it work really well. Like being able to look up someone's lab and x-ray results online is really helpful. It's much better than calling the lab and trying to find somebody to read something to you. And I, I'm not going to plan to carry a fax machine on house calls anytime soon. So having somebody fax me results just isn't happening. But more importantly than the nuts and bolts of it, for any career that you are called to do, you have to find the inside part of it that really is the calling part. And for me, it's holding a patient's hand and knowing that I will be their doctor at their house when they need me, when they get sick, when they are well, when their spouse dies, when their children are driving them crazy, when they're driving their children crazy. What, whatever the circumstances, they know that they have a, an established doctor-patient relationship that is trustworthy. And that relationship building is really the best part of medicine. Yeah, that's that's the best part of the day is is interacting with the patient. Yes. And and building that that trust level and that rapport with the patient. Okay. So there there is hope out there. There is because I have one young lady who will do the Charleston for me on house calls when I hold my iPhone up to her ear and pay big band swing music. <laughs> and I have patients who We'll share recipes, and they'll show off cute pictures of their great-grandchildren, and they'll tell stories from World War One and Two. I've got just, it's lots and lots of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, do you have any other parting advice for a pre-med student out there or a medical student as they wander through their journey? I, if I had it all to do again... Um, I was telling somebody the other day that my degree was a molecular biology major and a music minor. And I I have to say, on the day-to-day basis, I haven't thought about a cell wall very often in molecular biology. And I I might would have gotten more out of taking a few business or classes because there's a lot of business administration in medicine that we're not taught. And it would be helpful to know. Yeah, I think think that's huge. Running a business... Um, nowadays marketing yourself, yes. Um, on the, having an online presence nowadays, all that stuff is hugely important and overlooked. Yes. But with so much more in medical school to learn, how do they, how do they cram <laughs> it in? 
Maybe be a, a business minor with their science major. All right. Or be a business major and just get in your prereqs. Or there you go. <laughs> like, any way you can cut it, as long as you get those prereqs in and, and do well. That's right. All right, folks, that was Dr. Harrell. Again, I hope you were able to to get more of an in-depth look at what it's like to practice medicine with electronic medical record systems. She shares some awesome information about being a, a doctor kind of more in a rural area making home visits, which is cool, and her life as a geriatrician. But the the ultimate take-home again is practicing medicine today can be frustrating, but as you heard Dr. Harrell say, it was just as frustrating with paper notes because they had their own complications. Electronic medical records are just different complications. And at the end of the day, you're satisfied and you're encouraged by the interactions that you have with patients. So let us know what you thought about this interview. If you're excited about the technology involved with healthcare, if if you think it's only going to get better and uh, you're excited where it takes us, or or you're okay with some of the challenges as long as that as long as you're taking care of patients. Let us know if you think that. Go to the show notes, medicalschoolhq.net slash 56 as in episode 56, and uh, leave a comment there and let us know what you think. You can also say hello to us on Twitter. We're at medicalschoolhq. Or we would greatly appreciate if you leave us some voicemail feedback that we can play on the podcast. If you have a question or just uh, some general feedback for us, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash feedback where there will be a nice big blue button you can push and leave us a voicemail. So as always, I hope the information provided will help better guide you on your path to becoming a physician. And just as importantly, I hope you join us next time here at the Medical School Headquarters.